Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning, and welcome to the morning segment of the Saturday, February 11th episode. That should be episode 164, I believe it is, of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find our podcasts over at podcasts.strivingforeternity.org. Um, I would definitely recommend you get over there. There are some wonderful, wonderful podcasts, definitely worth your time. Um, so, you know, it's up to you, um, but definitely great, great listening. Definitely great, great listening. Um, I would also continue to point you at the um, last show note, the last link in the show notes. It is a link for the Vail Valley Baptist Church Give, Send, Go campaign. We are striving to rapidly pay off our mortgage so that we can shift gears and commence establishment of a Christian classic education-based school to provide an alternative for our families in, in, in our neighborhood and in our, um, in our area um, to give them an alternative. So um, definitely I would encourage you to go ahead and click the link and go read about it. It'll be a more, more thorough um, explanation than what I've given you. Uh, and then we would ask three things of you. Oh, excuse me. We would ask that you pray for us. We would ask that you prayerfully consider giving. And then we would also ask that you uh, would pass the link along so other people can do the same thing. All right, let's go ahead and get into our Bible reading for the day for the morning segment. And as we always do on Saturday mornings, we're going to open up with the seventh day morning prayer, God's good pleasure. Let's pray. Sovereign Lord, thy will is supreme in heaven and earth, and all beings are creatures of thy power. Thou art the father of our spirits, that thy inspiration gives us understanding. Thy providence governs our lives. But, O God, we are sinners in thy sight. Thou hast judged us so, and if we deny it, we make thee a liar. Yet in Christ thou art reconciled to thy rebellious subjects. Give us the ear of faith to hear him, the eye of faith to see him, the hand of faith to receive him, the appetite of faith to feed upon him, that we might find in him light, riches, honor, eternal life. Thou art the inviting one. May we hearken to thee, the almighty instructor. Teach us to live to thee, the light dweller, inaccessible to man and angels, hiding thyself behind the elements of creation, but known to us in Jesus. Possess our minds with the grandeur of thy perfections. Thy love to us in Jesus is firm and changeless. Nothing can separate us from it, and in the enjoyment of it, nothing can make us miserable. Preserve us from hypocrisy and formality in religion. Enable us to remember what thou art and what we are, to recall thy holiness and our unworthiness. Help us to approach thee clothed with humility, for vanity, forwardness, insensibility, disorderly affection, backwardness to duty, proneness to evil are in our hearts. Let us never forget thy patience, wisdom, power, faithfulness, care, and never cease to respond to thy invitations. Amen. All right. Now our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for February 11th. 
the text is Acts 4.13, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. A Christian should be a striking likeness of Jesus Christ. You have read lives of Christ, beautifully and eloquently written, but the best life of Christ is his living biography, written out in the words and actions of his people. If we were what we profess to be, and what we should be, we should be pictures of Christ, yea, such striking likeness of him, that the world would not have to hold us up by our by the hour together and say, well, it seems somewhat of a likeness, but they would, when they once beheld us, exclaim, he has been with Jesus, he has been taught of him, he is like him, he has caught the very idea of the holy man of Nazareth, and he works it out in his life and everyday actions. A Christian should be like Christ in his boldness. Never blush to own your religion. Your profession will never, will, I'm sorry, your profession will never disgrace you. Take care you never disgrace that. Disgrace that. Be like Jesus, very valiant for your God. Imitate him in your loving spirit. Think kindly, speak kindly, and do kindly. That men may say of you, he has been with Jesus. Imitate Jesus in his holiness. Was he zealous for his master? So be you. Ever go about doing good. Let not time be wasted. It is too precious. Was he self-denying? Never looking to his own interest? Be the same. Was he devout? Be you fervent in your prayers. Had he he deference to his father's will? So submit yourself to him. Was he patient? So learn to endure, and best of all, as the highest portraiture of Jesus, try to forgive your enemies as he did, and let those sublime words of your master, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, always ring in your ears. Forgive as you hope to be forgiven. Heap coals of fire on the head of your foe by your kindness to him. Good for evil, recollect, is godlike. Be godlike then. And in all ways, and by all means, so live that all may say of you, he has been with Jesus. All right. That's a heck of a devotion right there. All right. We're going to get into our reading for the day. We're going to start with Exodus 32 and 33, and then move on into Matthew, Psalms, and Proverbs. So here we go. Exodus 32. Hear the word of the Lord. Then the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. So the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Arise, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it excuse me, into a molten calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And Aaron looked and built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, Go, Go down at once, for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed to it. It's, uh, sorry, And said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. 
And Yahweh said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are a stiff-necked people. Now then let me alone, that my anger may burn against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make you a great nation. Then Moses entreated the favor of Yahweh his God, and said, O Yahweh, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a strong hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, With evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger, and relent concerning doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself, and you said to them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, and all this land of which I have spoken I will give to your seed, and they shall inherit it forever." So Yahweh relented concerning the harm which he said he would do to his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. Then Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, and he said to Moses, There is a sound of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of the cry of triumph, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. Now it happened as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned, and he threw the tablets from his hand and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire, and ground it to powder, and scattered it over the surface of the water, and made the sons of Israel drink it. Then Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you, that you have brought such great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know the people yourself, that they are prone to evil. Indeed, they said to me, Make gods for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. Now Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among their enemies. So Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for Yahweh, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. And he said to them, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, Every man among you put, put, a, put his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about three thousand men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Be ordained today to Yahweh, for every man has been against his son and against his brother, in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. Now it happened on the next day that Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin, but now I am going up to Yahweh, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses turned to Yahweh and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made gods of gold for themselves. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out from your book which you have written. And Yahweh said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But now go, guide the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sins." Then Yahweh smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, Go, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, To your seed I will give it. 
and I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will go up in your midst, because you are a stiff-necked people, lest I consume you on the way. Then the people heard this sad word and went into mourning, and none of them put on their ornaments. So Yahweh said to Moses, Say to the sons of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. Should I go up in your midst for one moment, I would consume you. So now put off your ornaments from you, that I may know what I shall do with you. So the sons of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, a good distance from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought Yahweh would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And it happened whenever Moses, <sighs> whenever Moses went out to the tent, that all the people would arise and stand, each at the entrance of his tent, and gaze after Moses until he entered the tent. And it happened whenever Moses entered the tent that the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and Yahweh would speak with Moses. And all the people would see the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, and all the people would arise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. Thus Yahweh used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, and his attendant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to Yahweh, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So now I pray you, if I have if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways, that I may know you, so that I may find favor in your sight. See also, see also, see also that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. Indeed, how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? Then Yahweh said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. And he said, I myself will, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about, while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. All right, and now into Matthew, um, let's see, chapter 26, starting in verse 69. Oh, sorry, I needed a drink there for a minute. That tea tasted good. All right, here we go. So, Matthew 26, verse 69, and then we're going to go into ver- chapter 27. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him and said, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are talking about. 
And when he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. A little later the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Surely you too are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows you will deny me three times. And he went out and cried bitterly. Matthew 27 Now when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel together against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him to Pilate, the governor. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, What is that to us? See to that yourself. And he threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed. Sorry. And departed. And he went away and hanged himself. And the chief priests took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury, since it is the price of blood. And taking counsel together, they bought with the money the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, the field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then... That which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price has been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, and saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, You yourself say it. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard to even a single charge. So the governor marveled greatly. All right. Now Psalm 33. This is verses 1 through 11. Sing for joy in Yahweh, O righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to Yahweh with the lyre. Sing praises to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully with a loud shout, for the word of Yahweh is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the loving kindness of Yahweh. By the word of Yahweh the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear Yahweh. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was. He commanded, and it stood. Yahweh nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the thoughts of the peoples. The counsel of Yahweh stands forever. The thoughts of his heart from generation to generation. All right. Now, Proverbs 8, verses 33 through 36. There we go. Hear discipline, and be wise, and do not neglect it. How blessed is the man who hears me to watch daily at my doors, to keep watch at my doorpost, for he who finds me finds life and obtains favor from Yahweh. But he who sins against me does violence to his own soul. All those who hate me love death. All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. Um, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, that you go out and do all that you do for the glory of God. 
um, as I always implore you to do. And God willing, I hope to see you this evening. Uh, we're going to go ahead and close um, with another Valley of Vision prayer. I could not find a link for this one, so I'm going to be reading it from the hard copy. And let's see if I can actually see it. Okay, good. I think I have enough light. This one is called Voyage. You can find it on page 202 of Valley of Vision, of the typical Valley of Vision book that Banner of Truth releases. So it's called Voyage. Oh, sorry. Itchy nose. Hang on. All right. So it's called Voyage. Let's pray. O Lord of the oceans, my little bark sails on a restless sea. Grant that Jesus may sit at the helm and steer me safely. Suffer no adverse currents to divert my heavenward course. Let not my faith be wrecked amid storms and shoals. Bring me to harbor with flying pennants, hull unbreached, cargo unspoiled. I ask great things, expect great things, shall receive great things. I venture on the holy, fully, my wind, sunshine, anchor, defense. The voyage is long, the waves high, the storms pitiless, but my helm is held steady. Thy word secures safe passage, thy grace wafts me onward, any haven is guaranteed. This day will bring me nearer home. Grant me holy consistency in every transaction, my peace flowing as a running tide, my righteousness as every as every chasing well, hold on, as every chasing wave, sorry, having trouble reading that. Help me to live circumspectly, with skill to convert every care into prayer. Halo my halo my path with gentle gentleness and love. Smooth every aspect of temper. Let me not forget how easy it is to occasion grief. May I strive to bind up every wound and pour oil on all troubled waters. May the world this day be happier and better because I live. Let my mast before me be the Savior's cross, and every oncoming wave the fountain in his the fountain in his side. Help me, help me, help me, protect me in the moving sea, until I reach the shore. Of unceasing praise. Amen. Okay, I'm sorry. I know that was a little tough, but I was having trouble reading it. Again, I hope you have a good day, and God willing, I'll see you this evening. Have a good one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening portion of the Saturday, February 11th episode. That'd be episode 164 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find our podcasts over at um, podcasts, that with it, that's with an S, dot strivingforeternity.org. Definitely recommend you get over there. There are some wonderful podcasts there. Great, great men and women of God. Um, definitely doing hard work for the kingdom. So I definitely would would recommend it for you. All right. Well, we are going to go ahead. We've, we're going to continue on in our Bible study in John chapter six. Again, I want to warn you, um, you know, I've been basically working through notes I had already taken and study I had already done. Um, and I'm starting to butt up against the fact that I need, that I'm trying to do more study to, for us to continue on. I do want to continue on. And John, I think it's very important for you and I to, to 
consume and meditate on and, and, and partake of this gospel. Um, it is critical. It's one of those that, um, anytime I'm evangelizing, I definitely recommend it, recommend for the person I'm talking to that they read John. Um, it, it is one of the most John and Romans. Those are the two books you really need to read, um, and study and meditate on. Um, so I want to continue on, but there may be a time here. I'm, I'm trying to see if I can continue on and keep the study going. Um, but what we may need to do is hit a certain point, take a break and I do something else for a little bit so I can also do some studying, do some reading and stuff for you out of other books and then come back and we'll continue the study and we may alternate back and forth just to keep it kind of fresh, but we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Um, as it is, I've, I've, I've got a number, a, a couple of, um, more little messages, um, moving on beyond this. This was, this is the last one of the stuff I had already done and I've already got a couple of more already ready. So we'll see how that goes. All right. So with all that said, let's go ahead and let's dive right in and get going with this. Like it's Saturday night. So we got the Lord's day Eve. So it is, we're going to open up with the Lord's day Eve prayer. So let's go ahead and pray. God of the passing hour, another week has gone and I have been preserved and my going out and my coming in. Thine has been the vigilance that has turned threatened evils aside. Thine the supplies that have nourished me. Thine the comforts that have indulged me. Thine the relations and friends that have delighted me. Thine the means of grace which have edified me. Thine the book which amidst all my enjoyments has told me that this is not my rest. That in all success one thing alone is needful, to love my Savior. Nothing can equal the number of thy mercies, but my imperfections and sins. These, O God, I will neither conceal nor palliate, but confess with a broken heart. In what condition would secret reviews of my life leave me, were it not for the assurance that with thee there is plenteous redemption, that thou art a forgiving God, that thou mayest be feared? While I hope for pardon through the blood of the cross, I pray to be clothed with humility to be quickened in thy way, to be more devoted to thee, to keep the end of my life in view, to be cured of the folly of delay and indecision, to know how frail I am, to number my days, and apply my heart unto wisdom. Amen. All right. Sorry, I need a drink here. I'm a little dry. Oh, that was weird sounding. Okay. Now, the evening devotion for February 11th from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. The text is Revelation 2, verse 4. Thou hast left thy first love. I think that was to the church of the uh, church at Ephesus that Christ said that too. All right. Ever to be remembered is the best and brightest of hours. When first we saw the Lord, lost our burden, received the role of promise, rejoiced in full salvation, and went on our way in peace. It was springtime in the soul. The winter was past. The mutterings of Sinai's thunder, sorry, thunders were hushed. The flashing of its lightnings were no more perceived. God was beheld as reconciled. The law threatened no vengeance. Justice demanded no punishment. Then the flowers appeared in our heart. Hope, love, peace, and patience sprung from the sod. The hyacinth of repentance, the snowdrop of pure holiness, the crocus of golden faith, the daffodil of early love, all decked the garden of the soul. The time of the singing of birds was come, was come, and we rejoiced with thanksgiving. We magnified the holy name of our forgiving God, and our resolve was, Lord, I am thine, wholly thine all I am, and all I have. I would devote to thee. Thou hast bought me with thy blood. Let me spin myself and be spent in thy service. In life and in death, let me be consecrated to thee. How have we kept this resolve? Our espousal 
Our spousal love burned with a holy flame of devoutedness to Jesus. Is it the same now? Might not Jesus well say to us, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Alas, it is but little we have done for our master's glory. Our winter has lasted all too long. We are as cold as ice when we should feel a summer's glow and bloom with sacred flowers. We give to God pence when he deserveth pounds, nay deserveth our heart's blood to be coined in the service of his church and of his truth. But shall we continue thus? O Lord, after thou hast so richly blessed us, sorry, blessed us, shall we be ungrateful and become indifferent to thy good cause and work? O quicken us that we may return to our first love and do our first works. Send us a genial spring, O son of righteousness. All right, we're continuing on. Sorry, shifted away from my mic. We're continuing on in our Bible study, um, our study in the Gospel of John, and we're in uh, John chapter six. Um, so again, you know, we've we've watched um, we we watched John five. You know, we saw Jesus do an amazing miracle, hear that man, heal that man who had been you know thirty eight years lame. 38 years so lame that he couldn't even get to the pool when competing against other lame folks, other sick folks. So, you know, how amazing is that? And again, we saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees just so not get that this major miracle had been done and that this miracle is continuing to attest to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, their Messiah is here. He's here. Like, like, um, John did, John the Baptist did back in, um, Back in um, John chapter one, um, where we we dealt with the three different topics over three different days to three different crowds, and the messages were: the Messiah is here. Listen to him, and follow. I think I I think those were the three. But again, these are people that have supposedly been studying the scriptures, are experts in the scriptures. And it's very, very clear this Jesus has come and met all the criteria. He's, he's fulfilled the hundred plus um, prophecies that point to him. But they're more caught up in the rabbinical law. And they call him out because of it. Because of his violation of the rabbinical law. Not God's law, the rabbinical law. And, you know, we saw him proceed to defend himself. As if he needed to be defended. But to defend himself. And we saw him do that. You know, he, he, he declared his equality with God. He showed the power um, of resurrection, showed that he had the power of resurrection. And then he called the witnesses, you know, like we said, he, he called John the Baptist. He called his own, his own works. He called God himself as a witness, showed how God himself had witnessed to him and then showed the witness of the scriptures and used them to, to confront these Pharisees. And then we saw him go into, into John chapter six, and we're talking the feeding of the 5,000. And we've seen the fickle crowd, this crowd that was only following him because of the miracles he was doing was because of the signs he was doing. They were following him for, Ooh, neat bright, shiny. They were basically squirreling. I, we call it squirreling. My, my wife does it a lot, but I do too, where bright, shiny thing. And all of a sudden my attention is gone. They're, they're doing that. He's the next bright, shiny. It was John the Baptist. Now it's him. And actually when you synchronize the gospels, you realize at this point, Jesus is going away to the other side of the sea of Galilee. 
corresponds with him having been informed that John the Baptist had been beheaded. So his kinsman and his brother in Christ, his bro- his brother in worship of God and in bringing the gospel has been killed for his faith. So he withdraws. But again, so that bright shiny is gone. So they're following after Jesus. Hey, we've, we've heard of and seen these really cool, these really cool things he's doing. And, and there's actually some indication in the other gospels that as he, as he heads towards the other side of the sea of Galilee. Um, and if I remember right, actually where, where it ends up being, I think one of them, one of the gospels indicates that basically this is an area near Bethsaida. Now there are two Bethsaida's there's one on the West side of the sea of Galilee. And then this one, which is Northeast corner on the shore of the sea of Galilee. And this is up where they're going is up somewhere near there. Um, but he withdraws there, but on his way there, there's some indication that he's been healing and teaching along the way. So he's not intentionally, but been gathering a crowd, but they're gathering because they want to see more things. Oh, even along the way, he's healing people. He's healing people. He's healing people. What else might he do? You know, this is not a saving faith. This is not people piling in because they accept him as Lord and savior because they believe in him as the Christ, the Messiah. Okay. This is the fickle crowd. And then we saw the faithless disciples that when Jesus realized, you know, we get towards the end of the day and Jesus goes, we need to feed them. And, you know, Philip goes, where are we going to buy bread so that so many people may eat? And, um, well, Jesus says that to Philip and Philip says, you know, basically 200 denarii, eight months worth of wages worth of bread is not even sufficient for everyone to receive a little. And like I said, in some translations, it's even to receive a taste. So the Greek there, they're not, they're not talking like a little small snack. They're talking a taste of it. So Phillips, even though they've seen, and like I brought up, they've seen these massive, uh, these, these disciples, these apostles have seen him change water to wine and not, not some little glass, we're talking somewhere somewhere around 200 gallons worth of water he changed into wine, manifesting that creation power. He's healed the nobleman's son. He's healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. You know, and this has been within the last six months to a year that he's healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. So they know. And then he's been healing people, as we see, he's been healing people on the way there. But they're still not getting it. So Philip, Philip has just fallen down on the job. And honestly, it just happens to be Philip. It had probably been any of the rest of them. Okay, so we don't need to bash Philip. But then we see Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, bring information. And, and you know, at first we think, oh, cool. Okay, maybe he's getting it. And then he falls on his face. And he goes, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are there? What are these for so many people? He's not getting it either. Okay. So we've seen that happen. And well, shoot, I probably should have read the whole thing to you, but, and I'll do it in a minute. But then we see the miracle occur. We see Jesus have them all tell the disciples to have them all sit down, sit down. And then he takes the loaves and the fishes, gives thanks to God and he distributes them. And they distribute him the bread and the fish. And they distributed them to the people and the people had as much as they wanted. And then when they were filled, when those people were filled, not that they'd each had a taste, not that they convinced themselves that they were fine, that they were filled. He said to his disciples, gather up the leftovers and they end up gathering 12 basketfuls. And like I told you, 
these aren't loaves and fishes like you and I think of. These are basically the equivalent of five Twinkies and two sardines. Twelve baskets of leftovers. There's more leftovers than they started with. And they fed not just 5,000, but in the neighborhood of fifteen to 20,000 when you count all the women and children that would have come along with the 5,000 men. So what an amazing, amazing miracle. And that Jesus did that in the face of the fickle crowd and the faithless disciples that he still provided for their needs as he does for us. Even in the face of our fickleness and our faithlessness, which we all manifest, it's really, really easy for us to, you know, if you ever get in a Bible study and they start asking questions and you try to give the, the pious answer that you know is the right one, but it's not really true for you. Yeah, you and I are both fickle and faithless at times in our walk, no matter how hard we strive to be, be better than that. And sometimes we don't strive to be better, better than that. But even in the face of that, Jesus is there. And he provides for our needs. So we come to what this last portion, verses 14 and 15, that we'll call the false false coronation. Now, like I should have done at the beginning, but I wanted to go ahead and finish that little bit of introduction. I'm going to back up and I'm going to read to you from verse 1 through verse 15. And so we'll get the whole thing and then we'll go talk about our verses for this evening. So John 6 verse 1. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. Now a large crowd was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was doing on those who were sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he was sitting down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where should we buy bread so that these people may eat? And this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, I'm sorry, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the leftover pieces, so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Therefore when, therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had done, they were saying, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, knowing that they were going to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. All right. So like I said, verse 14 and 15 are what we're going to cover today, and we're going to call them the, um, the false coronation. So I'm going to read those again. I know I just read them. I'm going to read them again. So we've, we're talking about our focused verses. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had done, they were saying, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus, knowing that they were going to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So again, we see a case, as as in the case of Andrew that we just talked about in our little review, we see the people make an initial response that seems like their faith is growing. And is possibly genuine. This is truly, they say, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. 
So they're showing a realization that Jesus is the prophet that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 18. Yahweh your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your brothers you shall listen to him. This is according to all that you asked of Yahweh your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of Yahweh my God. Let me not see this great fire any more, or I will die. And Yahweh said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their brothers like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So they're grasping it. Sorry, needed a drink there for a minute. So they grasped, they, they, they actually made a correct association that this is the prophet that Moses spoke of. And it is, it really is. Actually, that's, that's the thing we saw back in John one, when the Jews, the Jewish leadership came out to talk to John the Baptist, they asked him if he was the prophet, same guy, that's, that's who they're talking about. They were asking John the Baptist and John the Baptist said, no, because he knew he wasn't. He knew Jesus was that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. That's the prophet. So they're making the right relationship here. But I, I honestly, I didn't even put this in my notes, but this just hit me. It, it, it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever heard the old adage that even a broken clock is right twice a day. Well, <laughs> these folks are broken and they're, they, they're right this once. Um, and I'm not saying that to insult them. It's not that, but you hear that and you want to go, okay, good. They're starting to get it. You know, they're, they're, they're really starting to grasp it, but they're not because the fact is they don't really understand what that prophet is supposed to do. I mean, the fact is Israel didn't have clue one, what Moses and Aaron were trying to trying to do, no matter how much they tried to explain to them, no matter how much they tried to tried to communicate, be a, be a communication network between God and the people, they didn't get it. I mean, God was clear. I mean, we just read it in our reading um, about them and the golden calves. I mean, they, they just, to the point where God, I mean, had, had Moses not intervened, God would have destroyed them, you know, would have destroyed them because he, he noted they were such a stubborn people. Well, it's still manifesting and it's manifesting in the face of and manifesting because of the religion they're living in, this religion that, and, and you and I maybe don't, don't grasp it in our lives because it's not, especially if you've grown up in a Christian household or a seemingly Christian household or whatever, but even in a secular household, that, that a religious life is not necessarily a core part of most Americans' lives. It, it really doesn't, has not had to be. Um, the life of the Israelite was very much wrapped around and, and, and intertwined with their religious life. But like I've been, like I've been telling you, like I was telling you, as we move through John chapter five, they've so twisted and bastardized what God gave them that it's a false religion. It's no longer true. So these people who are following these, these rabbis, I mean, we will see Jesus at one point in the gospel. And I don't remember if it shows up in John or one of the others where he makes clear to them, listen, these are your religious lead leaders. So listen to what they tell you, but don't follow what they do that, you know, they, they tell you to do one thing. It's kind of the, do what I say, not what I do. That's what the religious leadership has been like, because the fact is the model 
that the Jewish leadership is showing to the people is not what the Bible says. They may tell them the right thing out of the Bible. So again, that clock that's right twice a day, that broken clock, but they're not being the right example. They None of them have the real grasp, or at least not that many of them at this point, have that real grasp of what it really meant, what God was trying to establish, what Jesus Christ is truly there for, that he's, yes, he's going to be the, the king, but he's the king in heaven. I mean, yeah, he's the king on earth, but it's not to establish a temporal kingdom at this point. And there's nowhere anywhere in the Old Testament that it says he will, but they've come to that point of seeing that. And like we see in verse 15, so we see in verse 15, so Jesus, knowing that they were going to come and take him by force, and of course he's manifesting, you know, that omniscience again, again, showing that he's the Christ, the son of God. But he said to take him by force, to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Jesus is aware that they want to grab him and make him their temporal king, their sugar daddy, into perpetuity. He heals them and feeds them so they need nothing else. He's their permanent welfare benefit, their permanent welfare state. And like like I've said a couple of times, and I've quoted from R.C. Sproul, these people want, as R.C. Sproul indicates, a chicken in every pot or a loaf and a fish in every lunch. They want him to take care of them. They really are manifesting a desire for a nanny state. They are also looking for someone to throw off the dominion of domination by Rome. Okay, so I need to explain something to you, and I didn't really realize this. I, I, For some reason, I had never really picked up on this in my studies previously, and I ran across this going back over this stuff in the last week or so. So... And I don't know, and, and, and honestly, the last couple of years, it's kind of gone... It's kind of gone to hell, but I remember when I was growing up and I particularly remember in the bicentennial year in 1976, when I was nine years old and 4th of July came around, how huge that was and how just such a massive sense of national pride. And of course we lived by an army base. My dad worked on it. So there was all kinds of massive celebrations in our town and in our, our, our city park and just. I mean, it was huge and it was so amazing. And I mean, even when I served that sense of pride when July 4th would come around, that national pride. Well, let me be clear to you from the research I've done. The Jewish Passover in the first century was a great time of national pride. It was such a a time of national pride. I'm going to try to use, use a picture here for you that it would make the our our 4th of July celebration even at our height of national pride in the US it would make that look like a street form, performer versus a broadway show okay it was that much of a difference it was that huge the jewish passover was so i mean if you can even comprehend that um I, again i've been 4th of July i, I was fortunate enough to be on the mall there in DC and watch the fireworks go up being between, you know, um, the Washington monument and Lincoln Memorial and all of that, the Smithsonian and how awesome that was. And the parades, the 4th of July parades and all of that, how awesome that was. But the Passover makes that dim in comparison. So with this occurring, remember this feeding of the 5,000 is happening around the Passover. So again, that national, that national pride rearing up 
And so these people looking for this conquering savior, that this, 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 that will throw off the yoke of Rome from the people of Israel. And believe me, they've been looking at it for a while. Um, there have been ones that have jumped on. There have been any number of false guys. Um, you even see, um, what is it? Uh, I think we see Pilate bring it up at one point, but I know what we see in the, in the trial of Paul, um, when Paul, um, first gets finally arrested in Jerusalem and they, and the, the Roman centurion or the, the, whoever's the commander there, it's not a centurion. The commander there goes, wait, you're not this guy who was, you know, basically a rebel assembling people to try to throw off the Roman. So, so the Jewish people are looking that actually have been for a while. So here's this guy all of a sudden that has this supernatural power, obviously a prophet from God, who is our God, I mean, the Israelites. So the Israelites going, this is our God. He chose us specifically. He's made us a nation. He While, while we got dispersed, he's brought us back together here. And here is this guy, this prophet that Moses spoke of. We got to make him king. That's not what he's there for. That's not what any of the prophecies ever spoke of him being there for. He was there to save us. Now, they, they in the Old Testament, sometimes they don't necessarily use exactly that word, but the phraseology use, they use makes clear that he, he is coming, that this, this Messiah that's coming, that is prophesied in the Old Testament, that he's coming to save us from our sins. He's coming to save the Israelites from their sin, to bring them salvation. It may use slightly different words, but it's that same meaning in the Hebrew. And they want to grab him and make him king. They want to coronate him as king right there. But Jesus knew the heart of men. He knows their thoughts. And he's not the genie to care for them or the avenger to throw off their oppressors. So he withdrew by himself alone. And actually, if you look at the other gospels, he actually turns and he sends his disciples away. And then he disperses the crowd. He sends the disciples away and he disperses the crowd. And I, I, you know, um, how often are we that way though? I mean, again, I, I no, we're not, we're not running up and down a national, pro, national pride, trying to grab Jesus and make him King. But again, like I spoke of when I was talking to the fickle crowd, how often do we want Jesus? We want to grab Jesus and use him to help us in a temporal sense. And when I say temporal, I'm sorry, I, if, if you don't know that word, I've tried to use that word because it's a little bit better descriptive, but I forget that some folks, that's just not a word that's in their vocabulary. Um, with a lot of people, it's not, it used to not be in mine. Um, when I say temporal, I'm, I'm talking worldly. Jesus is not here to necessarily make sure that I've got gas in my car and food in my pot. Now, like I read to you the other night from Matthew, the end of Matthew six, we're told not to worry about those things that were to focus on the kingdom of God 
and then all those things will be will be given to you as well. But that's the thing. Jesus is not here. He he didn't come to be our cosmic sugar daddy. And I'm not I'm not trying to belittle and I'm not trying to but it but but we think of him that way. We really do. Our 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 rich half brother or rich rich adopted brother that's going to take care of us for the rest of our life so we don't have to do anything. That's not what he came for. That's not what we're indwelt by him for now. But how often does our prayer life, prayer life resemble these people that we keep turning to him to take care of the things in the physical world? I, I'm sorry, I, I ran across something in my wife and I's daily life, and I'm not getting it any. But but it threw me for a loop. I, I I had missed something, and and it was just like, oh my gosh, I have messed this up, and this may have lasting consequences on my wife and I. Um. And honestly, in the past, I would have immediately gone, God, please make this better for me. Please fix this. Please, you know, and all that. And and it's not that I can't bring things to him. He, he wants us to bring things to him in prayer. Our needs to him in prayer. Absolutely. But when we think active, act towards him like he's a cosmic vending machine, when we act act towards him like he's our cosmic avenger. I mean, like he's, what, our cosmic superhero? Like all the superhero movies that were running around out there? And don't get me wrong, I've enjoyed them too because I grew up with those things. But the more and more I look at them, the more and more I realize we're trying to substitute a hero in our own image for Christ. And again, I'm not belittling people that like like them and watch them. I do, my sons do, my wife does. We've enjoyed them. Honestly, I have a coffee cup that's an Avengers cup. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not belittling. But he's not here to make life easy on me. He's here to save me from my sins, to pay the price I couldn't pay. And that's where our focus has to be. And we're going to continue to see this crowd as we move further on into John 6, because I do have some messages prepared further on. We're going to see how off kilter this gets. We're going to see how Jesus calls out this crowd for being exactly this ungrasping of why he's there and what the purpose is of his ministry. So God willing, we'll see that in the next couple of evenings, but all right, let's go ahead and close up. Um, I want to thank you for spending the time with me this evening. I hope it's been edifying for you. Um, I hope you have a great night. Um, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Um, and let's go ahead and close in prayer. We're going to close like we usually do on Saturday with the seventh day evening prayer. It's called future blessing. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, there is no blessing we implore, but thou art able to give, hast promised to give, hast given already to countless multitudes, all unworthy and guilty like ourselves. Make us willing to receive the supply of our need from thy bounty. To this end, convince us of sin, soften our hard hearts, to bewail our folly, ingratitude, pride, unbelief, rebellion, corruption. Through the law may we die to the law, 
Then look with wonder, submission, delight to the provision thou hast made for the glory of thy name in the salvation of sinners. Give us a hope that makes us not ashamed, a love that excites to holy obedience, a joy in thee that is our strength, a faith in thy Son who loved us and died for us. May we persevere in duty when not fully conscious of thee, wait upon thee and keep thy way. Be humble and earnest suppliance at thy feet. Live continually as on the brink of eternity. Let us be at thy disposal for the duties and events of life. Submit our preferences to thy wisdom and will. Resign our enjoyments, if thou shouldst require it, as our absolute proprietor and best friend. In our unworthiness and provocations, make us grateful for the means of grace and the ordinances of religion, and teach us to profit by them more than we have done. Help us to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, to enter upon the Sabbath mindful of its solemnities, duties, privileges, setting all things worldly aside, while we worship Thee. May we know the blessedness of men whose strength is in Thee, and in whose hearts are the highways to heaven. Amen. All right. Again, I hope you have a wonderful evening. I, I, I would pray that either you went to church this evening or you're setting up to go to church tomorrow, because uh, you need to worship with the saints. You need to, and we're commanded to. All right. Well, have a good evening. God bless. Thank you.